the other race with those other rights. The subject of race splits us into two camps. One group argues there is only one race, the human race. Others argue for several different genotypes. These people say each genotype represents a racial identity. Finally, they say these gene aggregates reveal themselves primarily through differences in skin color. Race appears to be both an odd way of dividing humanity and yet undeniable in its basic claim. In this essay, the existence of race is confirmed, but the argument is for the existence of two distinct races, neither of which has anything to do with skin color. The idea of race is tied to taxonomy. Taxonomy is primarily a reaction to Charles Darwin's unfortunate authorship. But we cannot put the blame for racialized thinking totally on Darwin. The idea that man is an animal was not Darwin's idea, but a consequence of a growing belief in the physical nature view of reality. If we are physical creatures, then what is more natural than to suppose man is a physical creature? If mankind is flesh and blood, our physical characteristics define us. What is more visible and racially definitive than our skin color? Skin tones are not the only thing that divides human beings. But our cultural and physical differences are less visible, they are less easy to categorize and too easy to change. Regardless of the overlap of the races and the interbreeding, each race has an archetype we all recognize. A negative confirmation of this is the mining of racial profiles to create demeaning stereotypes. If we were to postulate that reality is not a physical construct, what would this do to our racial stereotypes? If it was clearly demonstrated that what defines human beings most has nothing to do with what can be phenomenologically observed, race would become a meaningless construct, at least so far as the physical attributes of the alleged races are concerned. This is not to deny there are not differences in skin tones and that different regions of the world do not have people with fairly consistent and common characteristics. No one confuses a Melanesian for a Scandinavian, for example. But are these distinctions of skin tone the important one in defining race, or even important? As made clear, we postulate the existence of two races. We reject and deny, in the most dogmatic fashion, the possibility for race to be linked with physical characteristics. Irrespective of if there is one race or more, the racial categories cannot be defined by physical features, including skin tones. The great problem of our age is attempting to understand the division that has taken over our institutions. The world has three great arenas in which humans operate. These fields are politics, economics, and religion. All are experiencing this same phenomenon of widening division. But no one has been able to diagnose the source of the problem or prescribe a solution. There is talk of a left-slash-right axis, but both poles are undergoing their own radical changes. There are claims made that the right is a cover for far-white racism. But racial war only fits the agenda of a small segment of the population. It makes for good copy, but poor analytics. 
At the same time, the left is seen as becoming so progressive it has alienated many liberals with long-standing commitments to civil rights. It is too easy, of course, to demonize one's opponents. Dismissing those on the left as communists and those on the right as far-right extremists says more about the observer than those they observe. But when one does not understand what they see or what is happening or why, the easiest thing to do is to dismiss those who have become more and more alienated from one's own position. This may be part of the reason why racial slurs have become common amongst those on the left. It does not take much thought to explain everything one does not agree with on racism. As it does not require us to engage in dialogue with the perceived enemy, to dismiss them and their opinions as racists. Labels do not bring us any closer to understanding the rift, nor does it tell us why the division so deep and the enemy so prevalent and why the opposition is growing at the pace it is. The divide we see has in fact always existed. There have always been divisions in human society. We can see the birth of divisions in the story of Adam and Eve, but it is visible throughout history. Empires are built and fall on division. There were always class divisions. The rich and poor see each other as villains. Region has been divisive, so is politics. There is regional, cultural and language divisions and of course, there is the racial divide. The fact that these enemies exist must tell us that we have confused symptom with disease. Our analysis has missed something fundamental. That our minds look for an enemy speaks volumes about the human psyche. But where does the fault line lay? Are these divisions superficial? Is there nothing real or fundamental in the divisions? Is there an underlying harmony that a few disgruntled people seek to undermine for nefarious ends? This seems to be the assumption we all live with. We look at the opposition as an unreasonable enemy of the natural order of things. We assume there has to be a reality that can be found by all reasonable people and that if we all look with a non-jaundiced eye, the unvarnished truth will pop out from the chaos and give us a life we can all agree to. But logically there has to be two races or two types of people. There is no possible way to entertain the idea of a single, provable reality. There must be two minds or two ways of seeing reality, not one. There needs to be two realities for any reality at all to exist. Logically, there must be two kinds of people with two distinct minds to have any mind or reality at all. Each mind must have their own view of what is real. There must be two different races. What is more, to all intents and purposes, we have to accept that in their minds, their reality is the only reality. Is this too confusing? Is it too much to understand that if you are to have a reality and to know for sure your reality is real, you need to accept there is a distinctly different one that is just as real to those who hold to it? How do we conclude the reality we are in is not real, at least to the opposition, when everything we are requires this reality to be real? The only option we have, if we are to believe our reality is real, is to conclude the other reality and the other race and the other mind is deranged. There are no alternatives to this. 
In short, the problem originates in the fact that there are two realities and two minds and two distinct races, each with its own convictions. This reality and way of thinking is expressed as three propositions. 1. There are two races each has their own reality. 2. Each reality is a product of a different mind. 3. A reality is as real as other realities are unreal. If we do not accept there is another reality and that those who subscribe to it are inherently irrational and perhaps mischievous, we cannot accept our own reality is fully and totally real with no qualifications. But if this distinction is as absolute as we conceive it to be, there are two ways of thinking which means there are two minds, and if there are two minds there are two races of being. But why not more than two realities? Why not a multiplicity of viewpoints, or even an infinity of viewpoints, or at least seven billion realities? In fact, this is the case. There are an uncountable number of realities, cultures, viewpoints. The number cannot be known because the total depends on how the observer defines reality, truth, and culture. The total will depend on what the observer thinks is part of a culture and what a culture is. The number of cultures and races, and so on, is not important. We will postulate an observer can see an unknown number of viewpoints and cultures and ways of understanding what is real. All of these viewpoints are as valid as any of the others from the perspective of an objective observer. There is a reality that is real. The observer expects that under all of the observable differences is a real, physical reality, but the observer understands what is truly real cannot be known, not in an absolute sense. All knowledge about the physical world is phenomenological. The observer of the physical world feels and smells reality. These observations are subjective because they are the result of the senses of the body sending signals to the brain. The people of one culture, grounded in physical reality, cannot claim their culture is best objectively. When describing an observation in physical reality subjective language must be used. The best culture is tied to a person's cultural and historic and personal experience. What is best is only best for oneself. It is not an objective validation. There is then a people with a particular mind that believes in an objective physical reality. However, because this physical reality cannot be perceived directly, but only through the physical senses, they hold to a philosophical position referred to as phenomenology. According to this belief system, everything we observe arrives to our mind through our physical senses. Thus, phenomenological truth is contingent, relative, and probabilistic. If we focus on what is physical and ignore logic, all of these appears reasonable. But if we engage our rational faculties, we know our senses cannot be what is sensed. Our understanding or perception of reality is a shadow of what actually exists. But then what we believe is subjective and has no true standard by which it can be validated. But observers of physical reality are certain that a true and absolute reality exists and can be observed. At the same time, phenomenologists claim the observer cannot know what is true absolutely and every claim ever made is subjective. 
There is however one absolute truth allowed, and that is the claim that all truths and perceptions are subjective. The liberal view of reality contains all possible realities and cultures, but one. Liberal reality does not contain absolutes, yet the liberal claim that objective truth does not exist is a statement about an absolute truth. The liberal reality that claims no absolute truths exists excludes the reality in which absolutes are possible. This is as we have predicted. A priori in theory postulates there is two realities. Both realities exclude the other. Both races tied to both realities consider the other race unstable and misled. Each race believes the conception of reality held by the other race fictitious, irrational and inherently flawed. Conservatives need only to look at the liberal view of reality to understand the kind of reality the left opposes. Liberals are phenomenalists and as such they reject the possibility of a reality composed of absolute truth. The reality of conservatives can and does contain the conceptual possibility of God. God is an absolute and perfect conception of truth. Indeed, in the reality embraced by conservatives, God is the most perfect and absolute conception possible. This makes no sense to a phenomenologist, which is why they reject both God and the reality that conservatives embrace. However, as conservatives and Christians, we have to step back and take another look at this other reality we oppose. Because if the world is physical and phenomenological and absolute truth is absurd and the existence of a perfect, all-powerful God that cannot be seen or impacted by physical means is absurd. Therefore, if there is an absolute truth, this analytical reality is alien to the world and reality of liberalism. In other words, what we discern is that these two realities are so alien to each other, the people who hold to these disparate views are distinct races. The error conservatives and Christians made was that they would not obey God and come out of Babylon. We can only have one of two masters. The reality of faith that includes God does exist, but it is not the one conservatives or Christians embrace. The church is a bastardized version of the reality created by God for his people. Analytical reality is a reality Christians have dominion over. We do not have dominion over the reality of liberals. We are, if you like, strangers in a strange land. Morality, logic and economics are all analytical and deductive. Those who are in hard reality deal in hard facts. Truth can be quantified and validated using numerical standards in the reality created by God. Money and logic can be fashioned into discrete quantities. A priori thinking deduces facts from propositions using syntax as a deductive tool. The rules of mathematics are syntax as are the rules governing logic. Conservatism creates a unique reality and a unique mind and a distinct people. Christians are a distinct race. The peoples of Christianity do not have human rights and we reject the ethical dictates of legal rights. Christians live by faith alone. We trust our fellow man because we trust he whom we all serve. Good and evil are not quantitatively different, they are qualitatively different.
What is good has value, what is evil consumes value, but does not pay for the value consumed. Moral good can be quantified and monetized, in the sense that if it is a moral good it creates value, and all values can be given a numerical value. The quantification of value gives Christians a hard reality distinct from that of liberals. We think differently, we have a different set of rights from those proposed by liberals. We have a right to what we create or pay for. We do think we are entitled to what we did not earn. We do not think we are all in this together. People do not earn a right to what we created because they escaped a birth canal. It takes more than this to give people rights.